This is the Muso Mental Health Podcast. I am so excited to be talking to Jasmine Watkins today. Jasmine is a violinist and ukulele player, as well as a singer-songwriter based in Crystal Palace. And she is one half of the band Roswell, who I've been listening to lots recently, and they are just utterly stunning. You need to check them out. How are you doing, Jazz? I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Laura. That's such a nice intro. And it's like, it's so nice to meet you. It's not face-to-face, -face, you know, virtually, after like <laughs> chatting on Instagram. Absolutely. Well, Instagram's brilliant for that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So many negatives about social media, but actually that's one of the positives is that you can connect with so many different musicians across the UK. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like we became friends on Instagram and now we're here. Really absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. So would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to music as a career? Because I'd be really fascinated to hear myself. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, so as you said, I'm in the Americana duo Roswell and we started up in ooh, 2018 now. Obviously had kind of a uh, an enforced hiatus because of the, the pesky old pandemic there. But um, yeah, how I got into music, really, there was no escape because both my parents are music teachers. So I I was brainwashed kind of pre prenatal, I would say. <laughs> my mum likes to tell this story of um she'd be teaching music in the classroom and I would I would move <laughs> to certain songs <laughs> um before I was born. So I think like the music is well and truly in there. So um yeah I uh, I started playing violin when I was about four. I should be a lot better uh having having started playing violin at four. Um, oh, don't go saying things like that. I think <laughs> I think every musician feels like that, don't they? I guess so. Yeah, this is this is not the time for self-deprecation, is it? But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I I grew up playing uh, violin classically. I was like um, started off on the Suzuki method when I was very very little, and um, yeah, just a hell of a lot of uh, orchestral playing very scary violin solos growing up um chamber choirs uh even song and then it was only uh when i hit about 16 that uh, the school i went to a couple of friends of mine um had started this this uh this indie rock band called willowin uh which was named after a friend of ours willowin sounds like a cool folky name but actually it was just <laughs> our friends our friend will but it was after and he hated that. that absolutely hated it um and they asked if I was would join and uh I sort of said yeah as a laugh really I didn't think anything would come of it um and uh yeah that went on for six years and it was just it honestly transformed who I am being in bands it, I fell into it by accident having having only done classical music up until that point um and I can honestly, it's not an under uh, an understatement to say that it, it shaped my identity, accidentally falling into kind of contemporary music. So, gosh, you I and am. I are so similar there. Um, oh yeah, yeah, because I'm I was I started in the kind of folk tradition uh, when I started learning the violin because I was six and a half when I started, um, and because again both my parents were musicians, uh, they weren't music teachers but they were both musicians. Um, I was just surrounded by it the entire time and I was taken to see orchestras more than bands at that point because that was the kind of music that my mum was into um, and then it was only as I got older and I went off to junior conservatoire that I kind of really fell into the classical uh, niche but I was always fascinated by bands and loved listening to 
to any kind of bands that had orchestral backing of any kind I always imagined that I wanted to be one of those people and yeah it didn't didn't really see how I could enter that industry because I didn't know anything about it it wasn't the way I was taught and then like you say I kind of fell into it by accident when I moved down to Liverpool which as a city if you're going to fall into a band anywhere Liverpool is one of the best places to do it and met so many different people and played for so many different kind of genres that it was quite eye-opening that's really interesting yeah I guess we do have like quite a shared history there and I had a similar experience growing up of my parents not (laughs) unfortunately they didn't buck the the trend with classical musicians but they didn't really listen to a lot of pop or contemporary music so (laughs) I spent quite a lot of my childhood being deeply uncool not knowing (laughs) not knowing the latest music um I've remedied that now but um yeah so very similar yeah I was I was the same so my dad was into um jazz and singers like Shirley Bassey, Matt Monroe, Frank Sinatra. It, that was his kind of generation. Whereas my mum listened to The Carpenters or Genesis or and then uh, orchestral stuff or musical theatre. Like her musical taste was quite diverse, but it never kind of went into the proper rock music or indie or Britpop or anything like that. That was something that I discovered myself um, as I got older. And because I did a lot of dance, um, I was exposed to dance music quite young and I've always been obsessed with dance music. Like I love it. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's really interesting how um I explore in another episode with violinist Greg Lawson how you when you're taught music, you almost get the the creative side and the the individuality that you have as a musician taken away from you for a while because you're trying to fit into someone else's mould. And then coming back out of that and trying to find yourself is quite a a difficult thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, there's quite a lot of, um, it's very easy to be siloed in music, isn't it? Like the classical world kind of looks down on the contemporary world. And then within the contemporary, you've got all of these factions as well. I mean, like, I absolutely adore folk, but you do get the kind of folk purists. And that's a very specific linear journey and and you know it can be difficult to break out of that and people don't always like it when you break out of that when you mix genres or I remember actually one one gig um Zoe and I did Zoe's got a, a bass pedal uh for her guitar just because there's just two of us just to kind of make it make our sound a bit fuller and but there is a there's a loop function on the on the pedal that she doesn't use but somehow it got set off in a gig <laughs> um and uh we you know sort of made a joke out of it and and you know <laughs> until she could turn it off and then carried on with the song and um but afterwards people were saying oh you were cheating you I knew that you were <laughs> you were doing something else there and we're like no 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 we weren't. so there's it's funny there's people have very 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 strong opinions in music don't they I think and it and it's I think particularly if you grow up um you know, if, if you if you start music at a very young age, it's quite difficult to not be influenced by those. And it's only like in adulthood that I'm extricating myself from certain ways of thinking, you know, and it's a long process. What what kind of process do you think you've been through to find that? Because it's it's taken me up until my kind of mid thirties to feel like I've got my own identity and voice as a musician. Have you been on a similar journey with that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's a long story. I'll try and like do it in a nutshell, I suppose, because we've we've only got a little bit of time here. But we ain't um... in a rush. Just you, <laughs> just you talk away. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, well, I I suppose 
it's 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 a very personal thing for me. I, I'm I don't I I imagine that lots of other people have similar stories, like growing up doing classical music. You know, there's um, my parents are wonderful, but they were very pushy. You know, in terms of and and classical music is is a pushy kind of world. You know, so I was always expected to do well and do all of my ABRSM grades and things like that. Um, and I I don't know why my parents they're teachers but they felt that they really really wanted me and my sister to go to private school but because they're teachers they couldn't afford to do that the only way to send us to private school was for us to get scholarships so obviously there's a huge amount of pressure to audition for all these schools and make sure you get in and you know um and when you're a kid well when I was a kid I I generally just did what I was told <laughs> um and me so too. I didn't really push back on that <laughs> exactly so um so there was a huge amount of stress auditioning for all these schools and, and music. I have a I have a complicated love-hate relationship with music because I I absolutely adore playing uh, in ensembles and I and I love listening to music and I sing all the time and I can't I can't not do music, but it's also since you know as long as I can remember been this real source of quite intense anxiety, you know, because I had to do all these solos, you know, I had to do well in my exams I had to get through auditions um that sort of stuff you know I had to keep doing well so that I would keep my scholarship and things like that so and unfortunately the private school that I went to um although I had you know had a fine time there the music teachers were I would say sort of um really less than sympathetic there was like a, a, a real real lack of pastoral care um and some kids were, were all right with that and didn't you know it didn't affect them but for me I was a very sensitive teenager you know I was very and I really really took it to heart what people said to me what my teacher said to me and my violin teacher um she used to I'd go into lessons and she used to I'd finish playing a piece and she would laugh in my face and say well that was rubbish <laughs> or you know you'll never pass this exam playing like that stuff like that so just the kind of years of that and you know our other other teachers being not quite as terrible as that but sort of layers of you know there's there's a funny amount of trauma there really I suppose kind of for me personally just because I I was quite I was quite sensitive but that's uh, not a feeling to be sensitive like I'm getting the sense there when you're saying that that you feel like you should have been tougher in that situation and actually being sensitive is such a a natural human reaction to any of that yeah no I, it's true I think I suppose I can i comparing yourself isn't very helpful but I compare myself to other people that had similar you know who had the same teachers and had similar treatment but then went on to be full-time professional musicians I'm not a full-time musician you know I have a day job and it's it you know I think I actually never considered until sort of well into my adulthood so far I never considered being a professional musician because my parents said things like well it's a very hard life you know and actually for them me being good at music was a ticket to getting into good schools. It wasn't do this because you love it. And it just so happens that I do love it, but there's also all of these layers of other things, you know, that have have um, affected me. And it would, but, so I used to get really, really, really nervous. Like I, used, I used to get awful stage fright having to do kind of classical violin solos and stuff because they were, you know, bloody hard as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just yeah. technically, and sometimes I'd have to, I'd be called upon at quite short notice to perform something. And I'd be like, I'm not ready, you know. Um, 
And it was only through gigging in bands that actually that stage fright just over a, over a period of a couple of years just disappeared. Um, and it made me, gigging in bands made me so much confident and self-possessed. I mean, I really, I really don't know who I would be now if I hadn't accidentally fallen into that world of music, you know, because it's so much more relaxed than classical music, obviously. Um, and, and, and it's so sociable. I think that's another reason that I've, I've stuck with music actually is that I've just met an, an, a huge number of wonderful people um, and you know at school I was a bit I wasn't one of the cool kids but I found my group of people in orchestra and in choir and you know on choir tours and stuff and I it was just so it's it's a funny old double-edged sword music for me I would say um, and then after so I've yeah I've been gigging since I was 16 so that was it's been 13 years um, so far but I had a bit of a strange kind of crisis of confidence where uh, sort of two or three years ago where um, my voice started to play up in Roswell gigs. I was just like, oh, what's, what's going on? I don't know. And um, instead of, because I'm quite, an, I'm quite an anxious person, I'm quite a highly strong person. And I've, you know, now that I've, I've been in, in therapy quite a bit, I know that anxiety is my thing and it's just something that I have to work through and that's fine. Um, but instead of rationalising it as like, oh, you know, I've just had a cold, I've still got a bit of a cold, my brain went, there's something wrong with your voice. And then for the ensuing sort of two or three years, I had just awful, awful, awful stage fright again. And um, I can talk about it now because I'm coming out the back of it which is amazing and that's thanks to having a really good therapist having a really good singing teacher um and also a doctor telling me there's nothing wrong with your voice which is really great to know <laughs> um so yeah there's it's that it really is it's a strange experience for me because I love it but it's also a source of anxiety and that anxiety has fluctuated over the years of my life well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, what I'm finding on a lot of these conversations that I'm having with people is that all of us at some stage, whether temporarily or in some sort of permanence, feel like this, mm. but it's never talked about because you have to be seen or you feel as though you've got to be seen to be unbreakable um, as a musician. You know, you're putting on that performance face the entire time and that kind of different persona um, and I know some musicians go by a stage name versus their own name because they almost have to step into that different world I think Beyonce has it as Sasha Fierce yeah it's, it's that kind of thing and um, I can totally see the point of that now for ages I, I couldn't really understand it I thought it was just like a I don't know don't find me on Facebook type thing <laughs> but actually it, it makes total sense because you're giving such a personal part of yourself and when that is under constant scrutiny it's it's very hard to deal with when all you want to do as a personality is please someone or to get it right and I think you and I are quite similar there I always felt like I wanted to get it right for my next violin lesson or I wanted to um you know really kind of 
push myself the following week and if I didn't manage it or I made a mistake I would give myself such a hard time for it exactly yeah it has to be perfect otherwise it's not good enough it's and actually in music there's no such thing as perfection no it's not possible so what would you say were the kind of high and low points of your musical career so far oh there's so many things that I could talk about I could talk about I could be really sentimental and I am quite sentimental and just say like you know the, the the moments of going on tour with my bandmates that I love you know those kind of that's incredible I think I think it career-wise Roswell my my band now with um the fantastic Zoe Wren who's an amazing singer-songwriter in her own right just incredible musician um that's the project I'm I'm super proud of and it's you know I've I've loved the bands I've been in before and they've given me so much but this is my this is ours you know it's my project with Zoe and and um you know as soon as we started performing together it was apparent to both of us that it was something quite special we just kind of musically melded in a way that I've not experienced before um and the I think that one of the high points one of the highest points has been that I sort of three or four months after we started gigging together um we applied for Purbeck Valley Folk Festival's Purbeck Rising competition as new artists and we had this long arduous Facebook battle to try and get into the top five um artists to get through to perform at the festival and we'd we'd kind of yo-yoed between fifth and sixth um you know up until right until the last minute and then we were in sixth by like three points and we were out. Uh, we were out, so we, you know, we weren't gonna get it. And we're like, oh, we fought a good fight, you know, never mind. But Perbeck does this thing where they offer a, a, like a golden ticket, a sort of wild card. Um, and because we'd got so close, they, they, uh, they gave it to us. So we were really, really chuffed. Like, wow, we get to play, that's awesome. And I was in my head, I was fully expecting, I was like, they, they've done us a solid, you know, they've, they've allowed us through to this point. There's absolutely no chance that we're gonna win because that would seem rigged or like favoritism or something. Um, and we did our performance and I said to Zoe, we were both quite nervous beforehand and I was like, let's just forget it's a competition. It'll be fine. You know, let's just have a blast and have, have a great time performing. And we did 20 minutes, had a lovely time. And then went away, had a, had a cider or three and then came back. <laughs> And uh, for the announcements and, you know, and, and I remember Nate, my friend Nate was the announcer and, you know, he said, and, and the winner is, and he started to say a word beginning with the letter R and I was like, what other bands began with the letter R? Who? And he said Roswell and I remember like we were on a hay bale, I remember swearing to the whole crowd <laughs> and jumping off this hay bale in surprise and so the fact that we won that was was an amazing thing because we weren't expecting it. And then we got to play the main stage um, the year after and we, we were sandwiched in between um, uh, Grace Petrie and John Smith and it was just surreal. So that was incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel very lucky to have met Zoe and, and kind of formed that formed that project just, just by chance really.
I think my lowest point has been um, this mental health struggle that I've had around my voice for the past, I mean, it's been, it started in 2019 and I'm just coming out the other side of it now. Um, and it made gigging very, very, very stressful because I just panicked before every gig and I'd get really, really physical symptoms of anxiety. Um, and I was just about coping and then the pandemic hit and then there were no gigs, you know? I was, I was just about clinging on to my mental health by my fingernails and then the pandemic meant that nothing was gonna, you know, we couldn't gig at all anymore. So then when gigs started back up again, you know, you know, like, you know, when you fall off the horse, you need to get right back on again. Well, the pandemic was me falling off the horse and not getting on. So then when gigs restarted again, it was the scariest thing I've ever done going back into gigging. And I can't really tell you why, and I, it, because it had, it had become bigger than just a worry about my voice working. It had become this kind of monstrous thing that I couldn't really rationalize or couldn't explain why I felt so so anxious and so physically you know I'd, I'd get like nausea like nauseous and and just feel awful for days before a gig and it got to a point at the start of this year where I said to Zoe I'm not sure if I can do this anymore. and actually it's interesting what you said about about earlier about um musicians feeling the need to be perfect on stage and you have this persona I was so wrapped up in that so wrapped up in um not letting not giving away that I was feeling so awful that Zoe didn't, Zoe couldn't even tell that I was going through all of this stuff internally. Um, so it, it's, it's taught me to communicate a hell of a lot better. Uh, that's still a, that's a work in progress. You know, I'm not, I'm not just suddenly an excellent <laughs> communicator about my mental health. Um, but, you know, through opening up to her, it took me a couple of years to really have a conversation with her about it. It's improved our relationship as friends and also working together, I would say. I, I hope she would say the same thing. Um, and you know, I, I went I went to therapy and I got singing lessons and I'm still I was still a process, but I never thought it, it got so bad, it got it got to this kind of physical heightened stage of anxiety that I couldn't even see a way out of it. Um, and it's the re this is the reason why I wanted to come on this podcast and talk about this because I, I not I've not seen other musicians I've not heard other musicians be talk about their mental health in this way, and I worked really hard to keep it a secret, um, but I was really really struggling. And actually, it's got easier when I started talking about it. That's it. It's it's one of these things where I can't understand why people won't talk about it. And, you know, we all deal with things differently. So some people genuinely wouldn't cope better if they did talk about it. And that's yeah, fine. true. But then it's the people that would feel better if they talked about it or if they felt like they had a community around them. I know that's something that I was discussing with Greg in the previous episode, whereby the community of music um, doesn't really exist, certainly not always in the classical world because of industry, but I mean, I, I would say that's kind of the case within the whole music industry. I think you could apply that rule to anywhere. Um, you've got to be so forward facing a lot of the time and wear such a mask to try and protect a bit of yourself. Um, but that's almost impossible to do without stifling creativity. So to let your guard down and to let yourself be vulnerable 
to then receive any kind of criticism is can end up as quite a vicious cycle. And if people aren't able to talk about how they're feeling with that type of thing, I mean, it's no wonder that a lot of people decide to give up. I mean, have you ever felt like completely giving up? Yeah, I mean, when I, I felt like it the past couple of years, because I was like, my brain can't take this anymore. You know, I, because also particularly during the pandemic, I couldn't get any medical help. You know, I couldn't get uh, ear, nose and throat specialist appointment to just check that there was actually nothing going on with my throat. So there was this, so, so the the kind of uncertainty around that and and not being able to access therapy as easily during the pan pandemic not being able to access healthcare um i i was just like i can't cope and also i i because i had you know I, i'd gigged constantly since i was 16 up until that point and then the pandemic i was like oh i am surviving without gigging i'm actually quite happy in a lot of ways mainly because i'm not having to put myself through the anxiety you know i'm, I'm all right uh, sounds funny saying I was happy during the pandemic, but you know I, I lived I lived in a really lovely household of people, and we're very privileged and very fortunate that I just had people around and everything was all right. And I know it's not it was certainly not the same for everybody else. Um, but that's but that's okay but, to say for yourself though. That's the yeah. thing, you know. There's there's always going to be people who who have it better off and worse off. And the pandemic was one of these awful situations whereby. You know, I think if you could find a positive within it, because we all had negatives to face within it too, um, then that's actually a really powerful thing. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, that, and that's the thing I think I was reaching because because I have I have a day job. I work uh, in charity press, which is pretty full on, to be honest. And, and pre-pandemic, February 2020, I was working full time and also driving me and Zoe around the country, touring our latest release. And when the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, great, three weeks of, you know, I'll have three weeks off, we might miss a gig and then we'll go back to it over the summer. <laughs> Little did I know. So um, I think I'd reached a sort of burnout point. And then when the pandemic began and I had essentially like a year, 18 months off, um, I was like, maybe I, maybe I don't. You know, my, I'm, I'm living a life now without music. Maybe I don't need music because this is so stressful and I can't, I'm not coping. How much um, do you think that you relate your identity and music, though, um, as being one? Because that's something that yeah. certainly I lost. So I was very fortunate as a musician. I had a job that I could do from home um, through my work with Systema Scotland. It was one of the first organisations that got online teaching up and running within a matter of days, as far as I recall. And like you, I didn't expect to, to be sat at home for a year and a half. Um, like I'd come to the the realization that my wedding was cancelled um i'd lost like three dates off of um the first elvis costello tour that had been happening so i'd gone from like 150 miles an hour to nothing and then i realized after about a year of pandemic life that i'd been on this treadmill of gigging um and i mean not always gigging for for a living but you know gigging as a teenager like you say doing all the orchestral concerts and whatever I'd been gigging since I'd started playing the violin because you do schools concerts and you do solos and you do all these different things. And it was the longest I'd gone without doing a performance between March 2020 and December 2020 when um, Ian Prowse in Amsterdam were able to get together and perform at the Liverpool Philharmonic, but we were made to stand two metres apart. Yeah. And then all the audience were um, kind of staggered around the auditorium. It was bizarre to look at. And it was at that point where it was the first time I'd heard other human beings applaud for the first time. 
And it made me quite emotional on stage for so many different reasons because I hadn't appreciated just how much I linked my identity as a musician to my my entire self. I didn't know who I was without it. Is that something similar for you, do you think? 100%. I mean, that is, I think that's the thing that that meant that I didn't give up, you know, because when I was contemplating giving up and, you know, I I... I was asking myself, I was asking myself and I was asking myself in therapy, I was saying to my therapist, you know, who am I without this? Because, you know, like I said, I said at the beginning, that it's not an exaggeration to say that this has completely shaped my identity. Um, or, you know, music, it, it, is, it is who I am because I've grown up, you know, from birth with music just everywhere. And, um, uh, but particularly, gigging in you know bands in contemporary bands indie folk americana like that has you know i i started in bands as this very shy very introverted um child i was a child when i started you know and and um very i know i know I'm, i've said that i've been through this kind of whole anxiety journey but i'm much i'm much more self-possessed now and now i'm i I'm really outgoing and I love being on stage. I love performing. I get so much out of um, meeting other people at gigs and I just I just love being around people. And I, I feel like I've changed so much from, from just accidentally falling into Willowin back in 20, uh, 2009 or when, whenever it was. Um, so yeah, it's a huge, I genuinely, I genuinely don't know. I, I don't know who I would be without it. And I think that's, that's what kept me going through the lowest point. And, you know, now finding my way, working my way, putting a lot of graft into getting back out the other side. Amazing stuff to listen to, honestly. And I think your story will probably resonate with so many other people as well. Um, it's an incredibly brave thing to want to share how being part of a musical family has made you feel over the years because I think there's an awful lot of pressure there both for parents and for the children as well I mean I had to laugh my daughter was three days old when somebody asked me when I would be putting her to the fiddle oh god <laughs> and I obviously with both my husband and I both being uh, violinists fiddle players whatever you want to call it um I remember laughing and saying, um, I'll do it if she asks me. Genuinely will. I, there will be no point at which my daughter will be forced into music. She's already surrounded by it because, you know, she's been here when my husband in particular has been teaching at home. She's heard us practicing for gigs that have been coming up. Um, as time goes on, she will hopefully attend the gigs as well. And she herself relates to music in her own way, you know, if it's on the TV or if we have the radio on when she's having her lunch, that kind of thing. And she will dance along. And that's that's enough for me because there's all of that experiential part of actually being around music that's just as important as actually going off and studying it. Um, and I mean, who's to say that she would even want to play the violin? If she, if she goes to music, she might turn around to me and say, actually, I want to play the oboe. And if that's what she wants, then fine, we'll give it a go. And, you know, if she turns around at any point and says, no, music's not for me, I can appreciate it, but it's not for me, fine. Go and do what you like in this world because there's only one of you. And if it's not for you, then that's fine. You know, we're, we're not looking to make a, a miniature version of ourselves 
musically <laughs> yeah I mean you could get into a whole conversation about music and parenting couldn't you and, and sort of I think a lot of parenting things not that I have children but is is you know you, you a lot of parents try and make their kids more successful than wet than they were and there's a sort of reflective glory thing but I think it's amazing that you're like this is my you know your daughter is really young and you're like this is going to be her choice and I think that's a really um it shouldn't be radical but it is radical you know and I mean I my parents are wonderful and I adore them and I wouldn't change you know I have no regrets even though I've been musically educated in this way but I would have I would have I would have preferred that they'd said you know do it because you love it not do it to get you a ticket to somewhere else you know and and it's just it's through accident really that I've discovered oh no I really do love it I really do love it but there's all of this other complicated stuff I mean I'm in a I'm in an orchestra as well because can't get enough um and the wonderful uh um lead of our orchestra our conductor Danusha she teaches the violin as well and she said lots of adult violin pupils come to her with trauma from their childhoods of you know it's either their parents pushed them or their you know their teachers pushed them in a, in an unhealthy way and or there are so many adults I, as, as far as I can see with this kind of childhood trauma of being forced <laughs> to, to to do music and there's and you know they and, and yet they come back that I want to do it but there's there's a it's it's surprising how much there can be to work through um, Absolutely. And I mean, certainly something I will never be doing will be teaching my own child an oh, instrument no. because yeah. it's it's I always thought that I would manage it because I do so much teaching myself. But as time's progressing now, I wouldn't put her or myself through that because it's a completely different relationship. And, you know, I can see why parents want their children to do music because they see the benefits, the hugely rich amount of benefits that are there from from studying an instrument. But it all comes down to that element of choice. And that was something that my mum was always very clear on when I was a child. Um, I had to have asked to want to play the violin for a longer amount of time. I would have started around about four, but she felt I was too young. So she waited for me to pester for a bit first. And then after I'd done that, it was very clear that I was musical. So my teacher at the time, who was incredible, recognised that she would only be able to take me so far and wanted me to go to a junior conservatoire. But again, my mum said, no, she's too young at the moment, in my opinion. I would prefer that she asked me to do it when she was older. And I did. And I made up my mind that that was what I was going to do. And it's kind of just been like I've had blinkers on ever since. That was all I ever wanted to do. And it's not been without its challenges at all, because my father wasn't supportive of me being a musician at all. He was the complete opposite. He was actually um, very jealous in so many different ways. And that was kind of where his issues got in the way of it all. And it's just something that I'm very mindful of for me with my daughter, that I want her to have her own opinion on it all. And I don't want her to feel like she's got to live up to me or her dad because, you know, standard as a musician is all relative. You know, by the time she gets to any kind of standard on her instrument, I would have been playing for what, 30 years, 40 even. Um, and it's not fair for the comparisons to be there. So, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I stand with it. But it's such a personal thing when it's your own child. And it's yeah. really interesting to hear about it from your side of the fence as the child of musicians. 
yeah I, it's that's it's really interesting because because I mean it's amazing that your mum was so wise really and was like I'm gonna let her make that decision I'm gonna make sure that she really that you know that you really wanted it and um, you really wanted to do it and, and I'm quite envious of, of me I know lots of musicians who really do have the blinkers on in that way and I'm, I'm not like that I wish I were um you know it's it's much it's it's much less clear-cut for me but it's it's interesting because there's so much competition baked into music I mean there are, there are when you're a child you can do so many different music competitions when you're an adult you can do so many different music competitions and I think that's that's partly why musicians don't aren't open about their mental health with each other because you constantly you're not just having your best self for the audience and that's a whole other kettle of fish um but you're you're also putting your best foot forward with other musicians because when you're rubbing along with them you know like at folk festivals or at gigs when you're supporting each other or they're supporting you everyone's like how's it going you know how's it going post-pandemic and it's so much harder post-pandemic you know but there's this there is this sort of I don't know I'm, I've, I really try hard to fight against it these days and be honest but you sort of want to be like yeah everything's great we're so successful everything's going so well it's the and culture isn't it it's the culture and and so there's all of that out there so you really don't want that at home as well of like you should be doing your violin practice you know and I really want my child to be a violinist yeah there's it's complicated enough without having that kind of you know extending that culture into your family life as well and raising educating your kids that way yeah and there's I think we were we were talking about this before we started recording as well there's the perceived notion of what it is to be a musician versus the actual reality of what goes on it's that um if you've seen that iceberg picture where you can see only the top of the iceberg but you can't see everything that's underneath the surface of the water yeah. Um, and I think it's like that with with most things in life, really. And I think I was talking about this with Lee McKenzie um, about the damage that social media can do. It's a very powerful thing, positively, but also negatively. Um, that perception of how well another musician's doing, because you only share the best bits. Mm. You don't share, you know, the day to day reality of what's going on backstage or at home or the hundreds and hundreds of miles driven or any of those things do you yeah I mean exactly I mean like we've speaking of social media we've, we've put together a little reel of all of our of some of our festivals this summer and it makes it look like this I mean it has been to be to be fair it's been wonderful and it's been it's absolutely great to be out there again but yeah like it doesn't show the five hours that I drove to Somerset and the five hours that I drove back and it doesn't show the like you know going to bed at 1am or the the exhaustion or the money that you're spending or you know all that stuff it doesn't it doesn't show that and it is absolutely knackering and Zoe and I are sort of knackered for different reasons I'm knackered because I've I've done a nine to five and then I've driven to a gig and played it and she's knackered because she's streaming on Twitch for hours and that's you know she's done amazingly at that but yeah you show your best bits social media for musicians is a promotion it's your advertising yourself aren't you and it's, it's so easy to compare yourself and I'm very guilty of that but I'm trying the older I get the it's getting slightly easier every time to just put my phone down just be like doesn't matter you're on your journey they're on theirs and that's all that's all we need to know really spot on actually reminding yourself that there's you're the only version of yourself exactly and yeah. no one else no one else can live your life for you so you might as well do it for yourself yeah, exactly. And I mean, for me, like my biggest struggle has been to sort my head out, you know, and that has put a pause, you know, other other 
musical friends of mine have gone infinitely further than Roswell has during the pandemic. But actually, the fact that I'm still here and gigging, I'm giving myself a bloody big pat on the back for that because I didn't think I was going to be doing it, you know. So so it's everybody is dealing with their own stuff. And I think Absolutely. that even though this has been ch- really challenging for me, it's been a good um, good way to get some perspective sure. on other people's struggles and, and just everybody moves at their own pace. And there are reasons, quite quite a lot of the time, the reason for that is mental health. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just to kind of close our conversation, I, based on all the reflection that you've done, I've been asking everybody this, um, if you were giving advice to your younger self, um, as if, you know, it was somebody that was freshly starting out, what would you, what advice would you give? Oh, that's a good one. I would say do music because you love it. Um, it's not a ticket to somewhere. It's a thing in its own right. And I would also say as one, there are many wonderful teachers out there, but there are many terrible teachers out there as well. And just because a teacher says you're rubbish doesn't mean it's true because they shouldn't be saying that anyway. So I think maybe because I had quite a lot of <laughs> uh, deference to authority <laughs> and I don't I think I would say you don't need to do that if you're being told if you're being spoken to in that way you know respect even if you're a child is a two-way street or it should be anyway so um totally yeah agree. the experts don't always know exactly what they're saying <laughs> yeah they don't always get it right <laughs> yeah well, thank you so much for your time, Jasmine. It's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you and I can't wait to hear where Roswell goes in the future. Thank you so much. I've loved it. It's been great. Thank you for having me, Laura.